So let's not be fooled. We came primarily to babysit, okay? I mean, <laughs> that was the whole purpose. Matter of fact, I've been thinking about it since I left Missouri seven years ago. I think this is probably the first time that I've been asked back to speak. And um, so, and I don't know a lot of you, which is awesome, because that means in the last seven years how much you've grown and how many of you are, are new to the church. Uh, I feel old in some ways because uh, Terry was reminding me downstairs, she, Pastor Carrie told uh, Olivia, our granddaughter, that uh, I baptized her. And I remember that day very <laughs> distinctly. And uh, Olivia went like, what? What are you doing? You know, and um, I'm watching Camden up here. I was around when Camden was born. And I appreciate Camden so much because we were talking back here uh, before the service. And he sort of leaned against the chair so we could be more eye to eye. Because otherwise, it's like, okay, Camden. And uh, so a lot of that stuff. And there's some of you that I do know and remember from you were part of our church and part of the core group out here. I have to tell you, I, I don't know if Michael's ever said much about it, but... Uh, at the time, we when we started this campus at Bonfields, uh, we did it as satellite campus. And so Michael and I were team preaching, and he would be out here preaching three out of four weeks while I was back at the mother church. And then uh, we would switch once a month so that we could keep in contact and keep in context. And I still remember it was a winter day, very cold. We're in Bonsfield. And I'm telling you, I think there was only, there was less than 20 of us at church that day. And I don't know if, I know Larry and Martha were there and uh, Darren. Uh, I, we, we, uh, we, I just had us at one point gather around and we gathered a big circle and we held hands and we just prayed, God, this is your church and it's in your hands. You see ahead what it needs to do and what it needs to be. And so we know you're going to grow it and cause it to be whatever you want it to be. And so when I stand up here today, I see you planning another campus. I see all the incredible things you're doing in your community. When I hear stories like Pastor Michael read off someone who just watches you online, uh, which, by the way, he won't. I try to message him late at night and he won't message me back. And now... I know exactly what I need to do, uh, set up a fake account and have some connection with my son. Uh, but I am, uh, I'm just so proud of you. And it's an incredible thing that God is doing. Don't ever take these days for granted. Don't ever take the movement of God for granted because uh, uh, these are rare churches and rare stories, and you're a part of that story. And I get to be, although God had to send me away for you to start growing. Uh, so I uh, don't know about that, but I did my part. Anyway, so anyway, it's, uh, it's good to be here. It's a privilege this morning uh, to preach with uh, before you and share with you God's word. And uh, if it all goes downhill from there, we'll, we, you know, you can blame me today, look back on it. But anyway... Uh, You've been talking about things that Jesus never said. And boy, we get things stuck in our head, don't we? That we think that, that God said, or even the Bible. Like my grandmother, my grandmother, she was just as sure as everything 
that in her King James Bible, it said that cleanliness is next to godliness. And although Mama could never find it, uh, she just believed that to the day that she died. Or another one that I hear a lot, I had a lady in one of my churches, she just believed that God helps those who help themselves. It was right there somewhere in Proverbs, but we never could find it. All kinds of things, right? Like, we don't know that there were really three wise men. We know there were three gifts, but we don't know how many wise men there were. And I'm pretty sure we don't know what fruit was on the tree in the garden that they ate, okay? It doesn't necessarily mean it was an apple. It could have been a papaya or a pear or an apple. I don't know. It could have been a kiwi. Do kiwis grow on trees? But anyway, it could have been anything. But we get this stuff stuck in our head. And so you've been talking about this over the last couple of weeks, about things that we think Jesus said, but he never really said. For instance, uh, you talked a couple of weeks ago, uh, Pastor Mike mentioned it, about forgiveness. And then last week was, you know, you do you. And today I want to look at, uh, I would, Michael asked me if I would talk a little bit about something that we get stuck in our head, and that is you get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. Now, most of us think that way because really that's what the culture does, right? So help me finish some of these phrases, if you will. What goes around comes around, right? Your past will come back to... Yes. Boy, you guys are good. Uh, You make your bed, you have to... Oh, man. We've heard these things, right? It's all apart. It's this principle of cause and effect where intent and actions of an individual determine the future of that individual. And it's ingrained in all of us, right? Some of you who are parents, you've probably been taught to be, uh, you know, positive reinforcement, right? So you give kids rewards for things like... uh, you know, you ask your kids to do something, they do it, they get rewarded. Um, now, as a grandparent, some of you grandparents will identify with this. I've taken that, we've taken that to a new level. Look, when they don't do things you want them to do, you give it as an incentive, right? So our four-year-old granddaughter, Brylon, uh, this week was, Luann had to pin some pants up for her, and she was so scared that, you know, Nana was going to stick her with a pin, probably because of some stories I told her. But anyway... Uh, so I, she was crying and making a big deal. She came over for some comfort from Papa, and I just whispered to her, and I said, Brylin, if you'll do this, Papa will give you a dollar, All right? Now, I have to be careful with that. Once, when Olivia was about six years old, I did that to her. I said, hey, come here. if you'll do this, Papa will give you a dollar. She just looked at me and said, two dollars. And... <laughs> And I'm very much afraid to ask her now at nine years old, because I'm sure because of inflation, it's going to go up to five. And I don't have a job right now. So anyway, we're not doing that. So uh, obviously, when I, was a, when I was a kid, they would reward me with donuts. And so anyway, here I am. And, uh, but there, if you don't do something right, you get punished. Like, if you don't go do this, you're going to be grounded for five years in your room, you know, alone. Uh, we, we, we do that with our parenting. We do it at school, right? If you want to do good, you know, you got to study. And if you study, you know, you study hard, you'll, you'll get a good grade and you'll get rewarded for that good grade. You know, if I, if I brought straight A's home, I got, I got a reward for it. And, you know, when I didn't, which is all the time, uh, then, I, I, you know, I got punished for it sometimes. Sports, I played football. I'm from Texas, so I played football for seven or eight years as an elementary, junior high, and high school. And, you know, if we're going to practice hard, and if you practice hard, you know, we're going to end practice early, or, you know, practice doesn't go well. We're going to run, you know, 50,000 wind sprints at the end of practice. We just, we reward good behavior 
You know, and we punish for bad behavior. It's the same way with college. You have to earn credits. And if you earn enough credits, you do enough accredited work, then you get the degree. And if you're just one credit short, you don't get the degree. We do it at, you do it at your job, right? You work hard, you get a raise. If you don't work hard, you might not only not get a raise, you might get fired. I mean, this is the way our, our culture says It's the same way in relationships and marriages and, and parents. How many parents have I seen who've raised their kids the very best that they can, and when the kids didn't turn out right, they, they come and they say, I don't know, what did I do wrong? I must have done something wrong. I wasn't good enough as a parent. To, look what happened to my kid. Jesus never said, you get what you deserve. It's kind of, matter of fact, Jesus was kind of countercultural in that way. Jesus consistently taught that because of God's great love for you and me, we don't get what we deserve. Jesus gives us grace. Now, grace is the unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor of God. The unmerited, undeserved, and unearned favor of God. I can't do enough for it. I can't make myself holy enough or good enough to have a claim on it. I love Ephesians 2, and Pastor Mike was in part of Ephesians 2 a couple of weeks ago. I think he might have read part of this verse, but I just, I just want to read a bunch of this because this stuff, this, this stuff gets me jazzed. In Ephesians 2, verse 1, it says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins... You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us, everybody, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everybody else. Nobody's worthy. Nobody's earned it. Nobody deserves God's favor. Nobody can justify the affection that he has for us. But, verse 7 says, I think, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. God is so rich in mercy and he loves us so much that even though we didn't deserve it, even though we didn't earn it, even though we were, it was unmerited, he forgave us of our sins. And Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so that none of us can boast about it. I can't brag on the good that I've done. I can't say, well, man, what Jesus did on the cross for me, I earned that. I merited that. that my, my life, I, I deserve for God to, to do that for me. We can't say that. I can never merit that I've lived well enough or done enough, that I've been living my life perfectly. I can't brag on me. I don't get what I deserve because Jesus died on the cross so that I could be forgiven and he rose from the dead so that I could have life. You cannot earn your salvation, getting it or keeping it. I was saved when I was a kid. I think, uh, I, think I, I first gave my heart and life to Christ uh, when I was little. And then uh, I, I know I joined the church when I was seven years old. 
Somebody was just looking to fill some stats there, I'm thinking, because I had no idea what I was doing as a seven-year-old to join the church. I got baptized when I was 12. See, I do everything backwards in my life. So anyway, uh, I got baptized when I was 12. But when I was a teenager, man, I mean, I, my mom and dad, my mom, my mom, she, mom's like short. And uh, uh, she told me that no matter how big I got, you know, she was going to take a broomstick. And I was going to church on Sunday morning. I was going to church on Wednesday night as long as I lived in her house. And so even though I would go out and live like the devil during the week, uh, I kept up the presence at church, you know. I don't know if there's any pretenders here this morning, but for a long time I was a pretender because I wasn't living for God at all. And But I was at church, and I did all those things, went through all those motions. I came back to the Lord. My parents begged me to go to a Christian college that we couldn't afford just for one year to get away from the influences in my life and the, some of the people I was hanging with. And so I said, one year, if, if I go one year, will you leave me alone? So I went off to college, and there it was in a fall revival. Uh, I went down and hit an altar and gave my heart and life back to Jesus Christ. And then, of all things, he called me to be a preacher. That's, uh, that, that, that really cracked a bunch of people up. God has a sense of humor. And so I've been a pastor now for 35 years. And in those 35 years, I mean, I've married and I've buried people. I've baptized people. I've, I've witnessed about who God was and seen people come to know the Lord because of, you know, God's, God's used us in our ministry for that. Um, we have, we've gone wherever the Lord told us to go. And I've probably preached in 35 years, I don't know, a gazillion different sermons. Um, you know, we've lived away from family. We've given our life uh, to God through the church and through serving Him and following Him. And, uh, you know, we've raised both our kids. I was trying to raise a lawyer, but God said, you got to raise pastors. So both my kids are pastors and neither one of them are going to be able to afford to take care of me when I retire. But I don't know. Um, but more importantly than raising a lawyer or a doctor, we raised them to follow Jesus. And I'm proud of the fact that they do today. Um, and, and yet, and yet all of that, all of our life given to the church and given to God and serving the Lord and doing all these things, I haven't even begun to scratch what it would look like to pay God back for what he's done for me. I haven't even begun to scratch it. I could never pay back what God forgave and what he did for me. I have never, nor will I ever be able to boast about what I've done. To be able to boast because of what I've, that I deserve or I merit one moment of God's favor in my life. Even though we've given our whole life away. I cannot boast in what I've done. God doesn't love me one centilla more for how we've spent the last 35 years of our life pastoring than he did 35 years ago. That he did in those days when I was not serving the Lord and I was not following him as a teenager. I can't make him love me one sin till more. Why? Because I'm saved and I'm being saved every day because of his grace in my life. It is a gift of God, my salvation. Jesus never said, I get what I deserve or earn or merit. Instead, he said, I will give you grace, unmerited favor, undeserved love. He never said, I love you because you love me so much. He said, I love you just because I choose to love you. Jesus never used the word grace in his ministry. It's kind of weird. 
There's only a couple places that you find it in the gospel. Uh, and both of those are used to refer to Jesus and refer to what he has done. But Jesus never used the word grace, but he sure talked about it a lot. Matter of fact, there's a story that he told that's probably familiar to you. And I hesitated to preach this this morning uh, because, uh, first of all, it wasn't the scripture Pastor Mike gave me to preach. One, But a uh, little snot-nosed kid. And, uh, but... But because this story is so familiar, and sometimes when you preach something that's familiar to people, it's hard to find a fresh, like, oh, yeah, I heard all that, you know, before. But this is what I felt, I felt like somebody this morning needed to hear this. And as I went through this, I realized I'm one of the ones that needed to hear this. So maybe if I do, maybe you will too. It's, uh, it's in Luke 15, and the context of this whole chapter is that there are uh, tax collectors. Jesus hang out with tax collectors, you know. And, and sinners, and they, they'd come to hear him speak. And the Pharisees are kind of over on the sideline. And they're being very critical, like, look who he's hanging out with. Look who he lets, you know, look who he lets come around him. And, uh, and, and so with, with these folks listening and the Pharisees trying to watch for any way they could trick him or throw something at him, he tells three great stories. One's about a lost sheep. The other's about a lost coin. And then the, the last one is a story about a lost son. And so I, I want to I read this to you this morning. And uh, it says in, in Luke 15, 11, it says that a, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Now, I need to contextualize this. And you always, whenever you preach stories and, you know, you, 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 you want to be careful that you disguise names and things like that. So let's just assume for a moment that, you know, we have two sons. Let's just call them for, for instance, Lane and Keegan, okay? And, uh, and you, you have a father, I don't know, we'll just make up a name. Tim is his name, okay? And so, and so you've, got, you've got Lane and Keegan, and Keegan comes, and, and he says, Dad, I, I want, well, b- before you die, I want everything that you have for me. They live out on Dillo Estates, and uh, just making up a name. And, and so they live out there, and... And I want, this is very disrespectful. Like, I want what you have. I have a right to it. It's mine as a son. And I want what you have. I can't wait for you to die. You, who knows how long you'll live. And so I want it now. And I want to go do what I want to do with it now while I'm still young. And so it's so disrespectful. It's a rejection. It's a rejection of, of the father. It's a rejection of, you know, I want to take that and control it. And so they split the property. They split Dillo Acres. And uh, a few days later, it says, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. Uh, let's just say O'Fallon. And, uh, <laughs> and he wasted all his money in wild living in O'Fallon, right? I know, it's amazing. <laughs> Very creative, Keegan is. And so, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. And we'll just say, uh, maybe interest rates climbed really high, inflation had got out of stock. Matter of fact, eggs had doubled in price in the last few months. You probably know what I'm talking about. Anyway, and so he began to starve. And so, Keegan, excuse me, he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Now, I know a farmer named Larry, but uh, he probably related to Keegan, so we won't use that. Um, I, did, I did know a guy that uh, 
he, he raised pigs, and uh, his, his name was uh, Cole, so Cole. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. You gotta be really hungry. Have you ever seen pig slop, things they feed pigs? You gotta be really hungry for that to look good. But no one gave him anything. And so here he is. He's out there in the world. He's, he, 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 he's been foolish with everything that he's been given. And now he's destitute and he's empty. He's thrown it all away. He had all this, these riches and he has thrown it all away. And in our culture, we would look at him and say, because of all his foolish decisions, that he deserves it, right? It's what you get for making foolish decisions. His bad choices have led to this. I was reading this week about uh, Antoine Walker. I don't know if you even know him, basketball player. He earned over $100 million in his NBA career and filed, filed for bankruptcy a few years after his career was over because he made bad decisions, legal things. Uh, I read about another one, a drug addiction and alcoholism had led them. He made almost $100 million, and, and he had... He, well, People make bad decisions, and we look at those bad decisions and we go, well, he got what he had coming to him, didn't he? I mean, that's kind of what he deserved. He earned it. He deserved it. He merited to be left alone. And then the scripture goes on, and when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hard servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father, and I'll say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. You notice he doesn't say, take me on as a son. Take me back. He says, take me on as an employee. Give me a job. Let me, let me prove my worthiness. I, I know that I have been unworthy. I know that I have proven myself to be a miserable failure. Just, just take me as a hired hand and let me earn it back. Let me earn my standing again. Let me prove my worthiness to you again. I know I have no credibility, no reliability. I've abused our relationship, but just let me earn it back. I don't know, one of my favorite movies is Saving Private Ryan. And if you remember in that movie, um, Captain John Miller, who's Tom Hanks, is on a mission to extricate Private James Ryan, who's played by Matt Damon, from the war. Uh, Private Ryan's other three brothers had been killed in the war recently, and so they don't want his mother to lose a fourth son, the last son that she had. So they want to pull him out of the front line shortly after a D-Day. And so they go looking for Private Ryan. They finally find him, and, and they find Private Ryan and his company have been assigned to hold a bridge that's very important to their effort. And reinforcements are late coming there, and Private Ryan does not want to leave his company, his brothers, on the battlefield. And so he talks to Captain John Miller and the rest of the guys who came to save him. He talks them into staying and fighting with him. So they fight this battle. They hold the bridge. But in the meantime, several of the men that came with Captain John Miller to rescue him are killed. And matter of fact, John Miller himself, the, one of the scenes near the end of the movie is him dying. And right before he dies, Tom Hanks, John Miller, looks at Private Ryan and he simply says, earn this. And then the movie goes all the way to many years later, 40, 50 years later. And uh, Private Ryan is looking at the grave of Captain John Miller. 
He has big tears in his eyes. And he turns to his wife and he says, am I a good man? She says, what What are you talking about? Am I a good man? She said, well, of course you are. He had been living all those years of his life with this cloud hanging over himself because he felt he had to earn what those men did for him. He had to earn it. That's, that's what... That's what that's what Captain Miller said. You have to earn it. you got to try to earn this. And that's the way we've been raised. But that's not the way. And that's the way the son, as he goes back, he says, let me earn it back. I'm in debt. Let me, let me prove myself. Let me earn my place in this family. You know, I know it's not free. I know it's not deserved. I know it's not merited. Just let me earn it and work for it. And so this is what happens. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and he embraced him and he kissed him. I just, he's so filled with love. The father, Tim, is not filled with anger or rage. He's not, he's not, he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't, as he sees the sun coming, he doesn't cross his arms. He doesn't say, oh man, I I figured you'd be back. I knew you couldn't make it out there. I knew you'd squander what you have. None of that. He's not there with his arms crossed. He's there with his arms wide open. He's not holding back and saying, I'll wait till he gets here. He's running towards him with his arms out. Longing to embrace him. He's not mocking him and saying, I knew you wouldn't make it. He's not shaming him. He's not turning his back. He's not, he's not saying, well, it's about time. But he's going with his arms wide open and saying, come here. A smile on his face and joy in his heart. This is the day my son is home. You're here. You are gonna, you've come back to let me love you. And he's full of compassion and loves and hugs and and, and kisses, no condemnation, no let's just wait and see what he has to say. Just, my son's home. And the son, he'd rehearsed all this, right? Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. I don't deserve it. I burned that bridge. I'm no longer worth anything. I don't deserve anything. I'm not entitled. I don't have a claim anymore. I don't have an argument. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the fatted calf for we that we have been fattening. We must celebrate. We must celebrate for this son of mine that was dead has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And I just love this. So the party began. <laughs> See, it's, this, 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 your relationship with God is not one where he says, I, I'm going to give you what you deserve. However you live your life and whatever, I'm going to give you what you deserve. This is grace, unmerited, undeserved, unfavor of God in a get what you deserve world. It's a story of why God sent Jesus into the world. Matter of fact, this story just, you know, Jesus knows what's going to happen on the cross and he knows what he's going to do for the world. It's the story of a child who made a decision to leave and squander all the gifts, even the very life that he'd been given, traded it all away so that he could do with it what he wanted. And when he returns, thinking, I'm going to get what I deserve from my dad probably, I hope, 
I hope I can just get a job. But rather than call him a servant, God calls him a son again. He doesn't get what he deserves. He gets grace. But now lest you think that there is more to grace than being hugged and fed well (laughs) when you come home, I want to talk to you for just a minute about the gifts that he got. Because there's three gifts that he said that he got it, that he gave to him. First of all, the father says, come bring a robe to put on him. Now, you know, as a kid, when I heard that story and I heard about a robe, I'm seeing like a bathrobe here, right? You know, and uh, I know you guys were, some of you were in marriage retreat. Did they have robes in your rooms? I, yeah. Do any of you, some people I know, they like... They like, if there's a robe in their room, they wear it the whole time they're there. I don't understand. They don't have one at home, you know, or anything, but they wear it. while. And I don't want to do that because how am I sure? I, who, what was the other person wearing that wore it before me? And did they wash it good? And, you know, it's all that stuff. And then I have this thing in my head. When I hear robe, I don't know about, this is, this is, I'm, this is a little twisted. But the, my first thought is, you remember uh, Cousin Eddie? Uh, you know, where, yeah, that's my image of a, somebody in a robe and, uh, smoking a cigar and anyway, but, uh, and being careful about things being flammable around him. But anyway, so a robe, robe, I thought, what's a robe? Well, listen to the people that were listening that day to the, certainly to the religious leaders and to most of the people who in their lifetime had had some, they knew some understanding of the word, even though they weren't living it out. I tell you what would have come to mind. Isaiah 61, 10. Look at this verse. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. See, to the people that were listening to this story, they're going like, wait a minute. A robe of righteousness. He, he has accepted the son. He has made him right with the father. He has a relationship that that he's been made right, not because of anything the son does, but the father just declares him righteous, which when you hear that word righteous or righteousness, just think about it as being made right with God. Everything's good with me and God. Everything's clear. And see, when you come back home and he puts on the, the, the robe of righteousness, what he does is he declares that you're his, that you're his. And that whatever you've done and whatever, you know, whatever ways that you've squandered, whatever ways that you've wasted the things that he's given to you, that when he puts the robe of righteousness on you, when he puts that on you, all God sees when you become his child is the righteousness of Jesus. There's a word called imputed. He gives us righteousness. I don't earn it. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to do. No, he gives it to me when I return to him with a humble heart. And say, here I am. And the Father embraces us and he puts a robe on us that says that I am right. I am his. And then when he looks at me, he doesn't see all the brokenness. But when I am forgiven for my sins, he sees what Jesus did for me. He sees the rightness of Jesus. And he gives that to us. You don't do it by your behavior, but it's a gift. A gift of righteousness. It's his grace in our lives. And then he said he put a ring on his finger. That represented authority. In, in their culture, especially someone who had his, you know, obviously this man, he has servants and he has a, you know, 
Delo Estates is very large and big and uh, has all kinds of people working there. So he's a wealthy person. And so what they would do is they would uh, have a ring made that would have kind of like a little uh, insignia on it for your family that represented the father, that represented the family, that he stood behind you. It was a symbol of authority. And whoever had that ring, they could go to town and they could purchase goods and they would do a little wax thing and you could put that, you know, that ring down into that wax and that showed that the father was going to pay that bill. That the, the, all, the, all the wealth and all the standing and, and all the reputation of the father stood behind that. It's like a credit card, right? And I'm amazed by this, right? Because here's this kid who asked disrespectfully, asked for half of everything, took all this wealth from his father... And here he comes, he comes home, and I get it, man. Put a robe, he's right, he's, he's right, he's okay. I forgive you, you're good, man. Where everything's cool. But you're going to give him the family credit card then? After he squandered everything? After he made so many bad decisions? After he basically went bankrupt in a short amount of time? You're going to give him the family credit card. Well, that just seems nuts to me. That just seems crazy. I got to tell you. I got to tell you, let's go back to our fictitious family. So Keegan returns home. And can you see a dad named Tim giving him a family credit card with his name on it? I don't. Um, I, I wouldn't give it to mine. But this is, what, this, this, this is what grace is. I give you my authority. Listen, everything that I have, my reputation, all the resources of heaven are, are given to you. We're behind you. We're with you. You, you, you. you don't have to be poor and destitute and alone anymore. But when you come to the Father, He says, man, I'm going to give it all to you. That's grace. Because that is so not earned and it is so not merited. It is so not even in my mind smart. But that's what the Father does for you. So what the fuck? But he doesn't say you got to earn enough grace in order for me to answer your prayers. You got to do so many things. You got to give so much to the church in order for me to be on your side. You don't have to. No, what he does, he just instantly he gives him he gives him the ring, and the robe signified being right, and the ring was a sign of the authority of the father. I got to tell you, just that alone, those two things. I don't know. I don't know about you, and I don't know if you're listening this morning. You don't have a relationship with God. I know when I came to Christ, especially after I had failed, you know, from being a kid, being horrible, failing during my teenage years, and then coming back to God, I had so many doubts. I, I had so many doubts about me. I had so many doubts because, like it or not, when we come back, we think, even when we come back, we, some of us think we've got to earn it, right, before we get it. But then when we get it, a lot of us think we've got to continue to try to earn it. And, and particularly in holiness circles, I think sometimes we're really bad about that. But let me tell you what, it is grace from the beginning to the end. And when I, I lived a long time not embracing that grace because I thought I need to be better. I got to earn some stuff. I got to make, you know, I got, I got to put some credit in the bank and all that other stuff. And the whole time God was telling me, you don't get it. All that I have is yours right now. Everything you need to be what I've called you to be and to do the things that I've called you to do. They're all yours. I love first Timothy chapter one, 
It's one of my favorite verses. It says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed to us through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I got the ring, not for my purpose, but for His. Not to walk in, to live in the authority of my Father every day. My life was fully supported. Your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, your life is fully supported and backed and whatever you need will be supplied by your Father. You can bank on that because He gave you a ring. Last one is sandals. And I really normally like, I don't like sandals. I don't know. You probably haven't seen my feet. Anybody here seen my feet? Okay, my family's raising their hands. It's awful. It's ugly, and I'm getting older, and, you know, the toenail. Anyway, we won't go into it, but it's ugly. So I don't like to wear sandals, right? So when I hear servants, you know, they put on sandals, I thought, well, they just don't want them to get, you know, mud in the house or something. I don't know. And so, but but if you studied a little bit, and you can go research this yourself, because we, we won't beat the Baptists to the restaurant if I don't get done here. But uh, But here's the thing. In that time, all the servants would be barefoot. Only the family would wear shoes. And so when he says, come, put sandals on him, he's saying to him, I'm not going to make you a servant to pay me back. I'm not going to hire you. I'm going to adopt you. You don't get what you deserve. You're my child. Not because of what you've done, but because I have chosen you. You are my child, not because of what you've done, but because of what I've done. You're my child. You don't serve in order to become my child. You serve from a position of being my child. Somebody needs to know that this morning. You don't serve in order to become my child. You serve from a position of being my child. I am already proud of you. Put the sandals on. You don't earn the sandals. I give them to you. I identify you as part of my family. It's grace. So can you understand that God, he gave the robe. He gave him right standing. He, He gave him a ring. He gave him authority. He gave him the resources he gives him the sandals to put on his feet because he's, all, he's not going to earn it back. He's his child. He adopted him. He embraced him. And if you could recognize that despite your choice to take the resources and the blessings of the life that you've been given, that instead of going out and spending it the way you want to spend it and going out and squandering it the way, whether you've made good decisions or bad, He doesn't give us what we deserve. We are welcomed with open, loving arms. And we we are given life, not as a servant, but as a child. A child of God. A son and a daughter. As one of my friends used to say, the most high God. And yeah, we still mess up sometimes. I mess up sometimes. I'm still loved. We can't let shame... can't let shame win... I'm forgiven and I'm wanted in my my worst days. So let me tell you about your pastor for just a second. Because we can't get away without this. Matter of fact, I didn't send this in the original transcript because I didn't want him to know I was going to say this. So uh, of our two children, Michael was the oldest and our daughter, Brianna. Uh, When Brianna would get in trouble, 
She's just defiant. She acted like her grandmother. Uh, probably more her grandfather, her, her dad. Anyway, but um, Michael, whenever he would do something wrong, he was he would he knew it. He often told on himself. You know, uh, like one night we're sitting at dinner and and um, we said, "What'd you make on the test today?" I don't know. This was second or third grade. And uh, he said, oh, I made an A. I said, well, how do you know you made an A? He said, oh, because Haley's sitting next to me, and I wrote all the answers she wrote down, and she always makes A's. <laughs> really, Kate's got an easy job. I mean, he tells on himself. But anyway, but Michael would get embarrassed, and he, would, he was the more sensitive of our two kids. And um, I don't know about you, if you've ever done something wrong and you tried to hide, you don't need to hide from God. Don't let shame win. That is a tool of the enemy. Because your father says, I love you. Just come on home. Just come to me. And if, you, if I could get you to see God as a father whose arms are open wide, who says, I love you, I'm proud of you. If you could encounter the grace of God and let go of the performance trap. If you could wrap your arms around this grace and let go of trying to earn his favor, trying to live to justify what he's done for you, because you'll never be able to justify it. If I could just get you to let go of trying to be strong enough to do it on your own, you don't have to. If you could experience the unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor of God, I just believe it would make a difference in your life. And there's somebody listening today online, and there's somebody here this morning I don't know who this message is for, but some of us are still trying to earn it. And I think sometimes, you know, I'm, um, uh, I'm just going to be real brutally honest with you, probably more than I ought to be. <laughs> now, I am between churches right now. And there are days the enemy sits on my shoulder and he says, um, wow, that one didn't go well, did it? <laughs> and... People say you're this, and people say you're that, and I bet so-and-so thinks that, and I bet so-and-so thinks this. And he can really beat you in the ground sometimes. But man, while I'm studying this week, God's reminded me, Brian, you're still my child, and I still love you. And you are saved not because of what you have done, but because of what I have done for you. You live in my grace, and I still have a calling and I still have things I'm going to do with your life. I still have ways that I'm going to bless you. And I, I have ways, you know, I, I just want you to know this morning, wherever you are, if you feel disconnected today because you think, well, I've done too much. You don't know what I've done, Pastor. You don't know what I've done. I've seen some people who have done some horrific things, more horrific than you. And i got to tell you this morning, God still loves them. And he still loves you. And all today, if you could experience that grace where you feel like you're all alone and you're empty and come back to him, you will find a father who's not doing this. You're going to find a father whose arms are wide open, who's running towards you. I know you feel alone, but let me tell you, look up. The father is running towards you. And he loves you and he cares for you. And he wants to wrap his arms of love and grace around you. He wants to put a robe on you and make you right. 
Not because of what you've done, but because of what he did for you. He wants to put a ring on your finger so that you have all the resources to do everything he's going to call you in your life to do. And he wants to put sandals on your feet. Because you don't come back to earn it. You come back for him to give it to you. You bow your heads with me this morning. I think the band's going to come back up and we're going to sing a song in a minute. Heavenly Father, I look back at my life. You know, even when you're 14 years old, you can make a choice to walk away from God. And I did. I knew your love. I was taught all the scriptures. I had been baptized and a member of your church, but I turned and I said, I want to go do my own thing. And there's a lot of havoc you can wreak in your life between 14 and 18 or 19 years old. And I thought I was too far gone. I thought I wasted my chance. I got it when I was a kid. You can't use me. He didn't want me. And I saw you as a God who stood there with your arms folded. I'm so glad for that day when I began to embrace the fact that you loved me no matter what. And that it wasn't about what I had done, but it was about what you had done for me. And I came running back to you. And here I am, over 40 years later, And God, I am still as dependent on that grace today as I was that first day. Because there's nothing I've done to earn it. There's nothing I've done to deserve it. It's all by your wonderful, marvelous grace in my life. I thank you for that. And it took me many years to let go of all the damage I did to people for those four or five years. Because the enemy kept holding over my head. And I'm glad for the day when I realized that that was all in your hands that you'd forgiven me for it and it was gone. And you had that. You had those people. You had that situation. And you were bigger than that. So God, this morning, today, I might be, somebody might be listening and praying this prayer this morning and in their heart, they've been gone from you a long time. They've taken the gifts and the blessings that you've given in their lives and they've gone and squandered them in foolish ways. And today they feel alone and empty and they feel like they can't come back because they think you're a God who's got his arms crossed. But this morning you've said, here I am, arms wide open. No smirks, no smart comments, only joy and laughter. Today I can make you right, put the robe on you. Today I can resource you with whatever you need for my purposes in your life. I put the ring on your finger. Today I want to put sandals on your feet. I want you to come back to me, not as a hired hand, not as an employee. I want you to come back to me as my child that I have always loved and will always love today. Come, let me put, let me, let me give you my gifts today. Let me give you my grace. Oh, if that's you today, I just, just pray and tell him what you need. Tell him you want to come home. Tell him you're tired of being alone. Come with a repentant heart. (laughs) And say, Lord, here I am. And I don't know how you can forgive me for what I've done, but I I count on that forgiveness today. Let what Jesus did on the cross count for me. (laughs) 
There may be somebody here this morning, Father, who were like me for a long time. They've come back to Jesus. But God, all this stuff, the enemy's hung over their head and they've been working really hard. They've been peddling way fast trying to justify what you did. I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit has cracked their heart and made them realize that no matter what they have done, that they do it not to earn it back, but today just you want them to do it out of love for you. They don't have to earn their salvation to keep it. They just need to walk in the power of it every single day and enjoy that relationship of love. Not live their life with this thing over their head that I have to earn it. God, what a wonderful gift you've given to us. God, help us today. May we embrace your love. Even today as the band sings and we worship you. God, may we embrace your love. May we embrace your grace. May we know as we go from this place today that there is a God in heaven who gives us not what we've earned, not what we've merited, not what we deserve, but he gives us grace because he loves us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.